discover more compassionate relations with human beings, but how can we develop compassionate relations with the other creatures with whom we share this planet? There's an us before the wound, there's an us before oppression, and let to be pleasure is a way that we tap down into that. Welcome to the Total Liberation Podcast. It is Mexi, and today I am sharing a conversation that I had with Nicole and Catherine. Uh, for those of you who don't know who they are, they are both YouTubers. Nicole is also a podcaster. Uh, Nicole is with Pink Spots, and Catherine has a YouTube channel called Catherine. And uh, they've both been on the show before, so you've probably heard of them. Uh, Catherine has been on talking about childhood sexual abuse and prison abolition. And uh, Nicole's been on the show a couple times, but most recently on our one of our most popular episodes and one that I think is really important called Speciesism Isn't What You Think It Is. Um, and the three of us actually have a streaming channel together. It's called A Little to the Left, wink, wink. It's a monthly sex stream channel, and we talk about everything related to sex, sexuality, gender, body image, etc., always from a radical, anti-capitalist, feminist, anti-racist, you know, total liberation perspective. And our most recent episode, I personally loved uh, so much. It's something that I wanted to talk about for a long time, something that has deeply affected me in my life and that I've kind of just been, you know, burning up with a ball of righteous rage about since adolescence. And uh, that topic is the male gaze. Um, And particularly in this episode, we talk about the male gaze in media and what it is, how it operates, why it exists, and its impacts both on an individual level as people internalize it and also on a society-wide level. And I'm just really proud of us for this conversation. I think it's a really great one. Um, So, you know, I won't dive too much into it because you can just listen to the episode, but uh, I just wanted to shout out uh, the channel a little to the left. If people are interested in these kinds of conversations, Uh, we do have the monthly and we have... um, you know, a playlist there that has a number of sex dreams that we've been doing since last year. And we've covered a lot of really great and important topics, I think, um, just around sex and socialization, around, you know, bad sex versus sexual assault. Um, we have a whole whole stream on boobs and the sexualization of the breast. And uh, yeah, I don't know. It's it's fun. It's a, I like that project a lot. And I think that um, it's important work that, you know, it's not This kind of stuff isn't normally talked about in a way that I think is adequately critical. Um, So yeah, hopefully you enjoy. Before we dive in, I want to say a special thank you to Lindsay Erndwine for the Patreon pledge. If you would like to support the show, you can become a monthly Patreon donor at patreon.com slash 
Total Liberation, or you can give us a one-time tip or donation on our website, which is totalliberationpodcast.com. Um, actually, Nicole and Catherine are going to be back on the show very soon. Uh, I posted about this on the Patreon, but we're going to be talking about The Hidden Life of Trees, the book uh, by Peter uh, Volobin, I think is how you pronounce it, and uh, just about taking plant sentience seriously more broadly and kind of what that looks like and how, you know, the implications of that for a total liberation framework. And we're really, really excited to dig into that. And uh, as part of that, you know, after we post that next month, we're going to follow that up with a Discord call. Uh, we we have bi-monthly political chats, com- community chats on our Discord. And so we're going to follow that up with a call. So yeah, if you'd like to be part of that, you can check it out on Patreon. And I just want to say thank you so much to all of our patrons. Just special thanks to actually all of you, um, you know, especially as things have been kind of <laughs> up and down for me recently. And I've been showing that my chronic illness has been really terrible as of late. Um, so yeah, I just appreciate everyone's patience and support. I honestly can't tell you enough, like how, how rad it is and how, how much I appreciate all of you. So Enough rambling, let's get into the conversation. I hope you will really like it because we certainly did. Hi everyone, Uh, very sorry for the mishap and all the new links, but uh, we're very happy to be here with you all. Um, I have been really excited about this episode in particular. It's something that I am extremely fired up about. Um, And I know that Nick and Catherine are as well. Uh, So I just wanted to to note that this is gonna be part one of a three-part series. Uh, So today we're gonna be looking at the male gaze and then an and the following episode, uh, we'll be looking at the pedophilic gaze, um, which is definitely part of the male gaze. And we thought like we could combine these things, but it would probably just be hours and hours long. So we're going to actually do a separate one, just focusing specifically on like the pedophilic gaze. Um, and then we're going to do one on what an alternative, you know, queer non-male gaze would look like, um, with examples. And, uh, yeah, I think that's going to be really, really great. Um, because there's a lot of confusion out there, I think, around like, oh, well, is the is the female gaze just the opposite? And uh, we're here to say no. So, <laughs> um, so I also wanted to give uh, a content warning because we will be discussing uh, some issues around sexual assault and rape, and in particular, how these things are filmed and shown in popular media. Um, so I can give another content warning when we actually get to that part. Um, but yeah, just a content warning for that right off the bat. Um, and I think that's all that we need to, to do in terms of shouting out things at the beginning. So, uh, let's dive into it. So I wanted to actually start this episode with a little thought experiment. If you all could just, you know, humor me and, uh, (laughs) join me in this, uh, this virtual world. Um, so let's all just pretend that, Every time you saw a piece of media, you know, a film, TV, or whatever, every time you saw a man in that piece of media, they were doing like a slow, sexy stroll, and the camera's panning up really slowly from their feet, like all the way up to their head. They're shaking their hair when it gets there, you know, like maybe they're taking off one piece of clothing really slowly or whatever. Like th- this is how you're introduced to male characters. Um, you know, every time that 
you see that something is rated R for nudity, or if someone describes a film as being really racy or edgy or sexy, you know immediately that that means that there's going to be full frontal male nudity and that the camera is going to be just like hugging them, you know, slow, sensual shots, like really accentuating their, you know, body parts, especially their dick. Um, uh, you know, uh, imagine that very often they're not like their face isn't even involved in those shots, right? Like you'll have two women characters who are the protagonists in the, in the foreground and they're talking to each other about important stuff and advancing the plot. And then you just have like male people who aren't actually characters, just like men in the background, like stripping. You don't even see their faces. They're not characters. They're set pieces, basically. Um, and then like every once in a while, the conversation will stop and you'll see like the camera will just pan over and then just focus like on the, the guy's dick or something. And the two women will like shoot out some kind of like objectifying or deprecating thing about that person, then like go back to talking about, you know, the real plot. Um, you know, imagine every time you saw an animated film or a TV show or whatever, uh, the women characters are just like regular, regular people hanging out. And like the male characters that just have these cartoonishly exaggerated body parts. They're in these like thirst trap poses for some reason all the time. Um, you know, imagine uh, sex scenes that you watch where it's clearly all about the woman's pleasure, you know, like what, first of all, like, again, it's like full frontal male nudity. And like, you don't see any of the woman, you see like maybe her back. And uh, it's like all about her orgasm. Like, you know, the sex is something that clearly isn't doing it for the man, but it's like, as soon as the woman orgasms, like the experience is over, like just, you know, like we find this so ridiculous to think about, but I think it's just so telling like how normalized it is that we've internalized it the other way around and how we just accept that that's just the way things are. And then like, imagine, you know, like what kind of a society that would build, like imagine a lifetime of internalizing those messages and not just in film and media and whatever, also in, you know, public spaces like bars, you know, like sporting events, uh, restaurants even, right? Like, imagine what kind of a society that would engender. Like, clearly, we would all internalize some pretty messed up ideas about men and about, like, what they're here for, you know, their their bodies, etc. Um, and, you know, I, I just bring this up and I bring up this thought experiment because I think a lot of people... And, you know, I've gotten comments about this before if I've ever talked about, like, the male gaze or, or feminism or whatever, where people are kind of like, you know, why are you bothering to talk about this? You know, like, whatever, the world is burning, people are starving, like, this is not important. But I think that, you know, ideology and, like, material effects are always dialectically intertwined. And, you know, if we, if you, if you can't even imagine like this kind of a society, or if you can imagine that like that kind of a society would clearly engender like more violence towards men, then it is important to talk about this, right? Like it is important to talk about um, the things that we internalize and like how our ideology shape our material practices and effects um, and vice versa, right? Because like media, film, art, whatever, like it's a reflection of these oppressive systems that are extremely violent you know, mostly towards women, um, both ideologically and materially. And then they also perpetuate those violent systems even more as we all continue to internalize these things, right? So that's just my my lead off into, you know, I, I want to talk about this. Um, also, like, it's just been a, a lifetime of, like, internalizing this shit and being super mad about it and not really having the language to talk about it. And finally, I do. So here we are. <laughs>
Um, so anyway, I don't know if either of you wanted to say anything before we get into the, like the definition of what the male gaze is, but yeah, I, I think we're going to talk today about, you know, like what the male gaze is, why it exists, um, really how it operates, um, and the the impacts, right? Like societal impacts, but then also like personal impacts and, and you know, how it's all touched our lives in particular. So yeah, any anything you guys want to jump in with before we get into the definition of it? I just wanted to add that when people talk about how, why are you talking about this? Because there are bigger issues in the world like climate change and nuclear destruction and all of these things. I also think that, I mean, these um, problems are a product partially of the patriarchy as well. And so if we want to dismantle these things, we need to also be dismantling the patriarchy. And if the male gaze is a key tool of the patriarchy, then it is it needs to be dismantled. And it it's not as if they're not all intimately intertwined. And so, yeah, we can't just say, oh, some issues are less important because they're more important issues when it's all connected. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and to um, jump off what Catherine said, you know, there's the male gaze can apply to a lot of things, which includes the environment. If you look at the way a lot of films are shot that are from a male perspective, a colonizer perspective, there's ways that the landscape is made to be seen as if it's being conquered or if it's uh, waiting to be discovered. I mean, these are still ways that the male gaze in influences the way that we think about things like exploration, development, um, indigenous people, you know, there's a lot of influence that it has. That's, um, yeah, Menica said, like, regarding landscape, like virgin forests, you know, this <laughs> idea <laughs> that the forests haven't been touched or penetrated yet. Um, these things all factor in, you know, it, it does, the, I think the original theory did center on how women are portrayed in media. But when we look at it, you know, as we always talk about the Patriarchy inherent in the patriarchy is also a settler mindset mm -hmm. and um, racism, you know, all of these different systems. So the male gaze can factor into how we view many different things, like I said, including what people consider bigger issues like the environment. Mm -hmm. That's really, really well said. Thank you for bringing that up. Um, and yeah, like, as you mentioned, you know, it, it's like people will be like, oh, well, you know, people are starving right now. And it's like, yeah, people are being date raped right now. You know, like people are being like hospitalized for things related to a lifetime of body dysmorphia. Like people are, you know, like, it's like, yeah, yeah. we're fighting, we're fighting all of it. We're fighting all of it. And so we have to address like the ideology and then how that actually plays out materially as well. So um so anyway so yeah so let's just start by defining what <laughs> oh, <I'm sorry. laughs> poor Catherine I'm doesn't sorry. have uh, her luggage and she's just setting up her phone <laughs> very precariously which is highly relatable um <laughs> Anyway, um, yeah, so let's get into like what the male gaze is. And I think we're going to dive uh, more deeply into this in subsequent um, parts of the series as well, especially when we get to the the alternative like queer female gaze and whatnot. I think a lot of that's going to come out with some examples. Um, but just very briefly, the concept of the male gaze was introduced by Laura Mulvey, who was uh, a scholar and filmmaker um, in a 1975 essay. 
And um, she actually should suggest that it should be called the heterosexual male gaze because, mm -hmm. you, you know, that's like, that's more precise. Um, and basically um, it's, it's talking about, you know, the way that in our film and in our media is often portrayed as if the audience is just assumed to be a cishet male. Um, and it's a way of, of viewing and a way of showing things that is highly sexualized and it empowers uh, the men and objectifies the women. So basically in the male gaze, the woman is treated as object of heterosexual male desire. Um, and she's really framed as that object, right? Like her desires and her wants or whatever are less important than her being this thing to be looked at, right? Um, and Mulvey uses the term or talks about the term scopophilia, which is the sexual pleasure involved in looking and argues that most popular movies are filmed in a way that satisfy masculine scopophilia, where women are characterized by their to-be-looked-at-ness, and then, um, you know, women, women as spectacle and men as the bearer of the look. Or another way of saying that is, like, women um, as the bearers of meaning, but not as the makers of meaning, right? Um, and so it creates this mode of looking that is sexual, voyeuristic, and associated with the male protagonist's point of view. Um, and I think it's important because, you know, we'll, we'll talk more about examples and things like that. Like, it's not necessarily always what is being shown, but it's like the way that it's being shown, right? So we're talking about, you know, camera angles, you know, uh, the way that the camera kind of like frames and lingers on a body, um, you know, what is, what's like the subtext here? Um, cause as we'll talk about, you know, I, I mean, we mentioned, in, I mentioned in the intro that it's usually, I mean, more often than not, uh, women who are the ones who are nude in film, like women who are the ones who are uh, sexualized and whatever, but I mean, like you can have nudity that isn't male gazy, right? So it's not necessarily like what is being shown. It's like how it is being shown, um, and Janice Lorick, who wrote about this in the conversation, says that a lifetime of seeing women sexualized in television, music videos, and advertisements has made us very comfortable with assuming the male gaze. Um, and I want to show actually uh, a quick little TikTok. I'll, maybe I'll save it till later, until um, after you guys kind of weigh in. But um, it's showing how um, even in cartoons, you know, like Dis Disney, Pixar, and things like that, um, where the male characters are just, again, just like regular, regular people. Um, and the girl characters are always like in these thirst trap positions, like their uh, features are all really cartoonishly accentuated. Um, and they're being sexualized even at a very young age, right? So it's like this starts really young. And it's something that we, we deeply internalize. Um, and I want to make clear as well, that it's not just like a natural thing. It's not just like, oh, this is just what men find attractive, right? It's actually a social construct um, and it changes over time. And it's it's not the same, you know, when we're talking about different uh, time periods in history and it's not the same when we're talking about like different cultures, right? Like the way that women's bodies or different body parts are sexualized or not sexualized um, is this ever kind of changing social construct um, and the way that it exists now and that it has like in the West for the past many decades is that it is often incredibly racist and colorist. Um, mm -hmm ableist, fat phobic, um, and just creates these kind of clearly objectified ideals that are not simply, you know, natural, but are part of these broader systems of control and oppression and ultimately violence, I would argue. Um, and it's, you know, for the most part, when we're talking about these films, it's it's like men uh, historically have been the ones who are making these decisions about how women are framed and women are seen. And then we just kind of internalize that, right? So, um, 
Yeah, I think I may stop there and uh, if you guys have anything to to jump in with before we get it to like the alternative gazes. I just wanted to um, Eastern Screech Owl in the comments made a comment and it was something I wanted to remark on before we move on is that even when cis guys are shown naked, even when we do see penises on film, uh, usually it's from a distance and it's quick and it's often a joke. And it, mm -hmm. a lot of times, as uh, they said, it is to show that the man is a, in a state of vulnerability, mm -hmm. which shows you that there is vulnerability in being naked and in being gazed upon. Not that mm -hmm. nakedness has to be inherently sexualized or inherently objectifying, but that the way that we do this in films does make you feel inherently vulnerable. Mm -hmm. You know, when you think about how many actresses, we know what their tits look like, right? And a lot of people like to weigh in on that. Whereas mm -hmm. like how many actors do we know what their dicks look like? Mm -hmm. um, it does make someone vulnerable and it does impact them. And I think we're gonna get into this as we discuss alternative viewpoints, but you know, the male gaze can also negatively impact men as well. And mm -hmm. I think when we have these conversations, a lot of men like to push back and talk about, you know, how eating disorders have increased in men and boys and how a lot of these films set unrealistic expectations for what a man's body is supposed to look like and even what a penis is supposed to look like. Because a lot of times when we see penis in films, too, if it's not a joke, um, often it's a prosthetic. So yeah. it's not even real right mm -hmm, like they're mm -hmm. too afraid to show someone's real penis so they get mm -hmm. this big prosthetic that you know fits more of our concept of what a penis is supposed to look like mm -hmm. um and i don't argue that that hurts men um mm -hmm. but this is something perpetuated by men <laughs> so <Yeah>. that's, <laughs> that's where the arguments fall apart for me is that often people try to frame it as if women are the ones driving this you know, these pressures on men and it's like, no, it's, it's men creating the standards for masculinity and perpetuating those in media. And sure, there may be women who buy into that. Um, and I would say gay men as well, right? Like there can be, um, kind of toxic beauty standards that we all internalize and seek out, you know, like a lot of men complain about women who won't date short men. And it's like, yeah, that sucks and it's not fair and it's it's not a good standard to have, but that isn't like women didn't create that standard, right? Mm -hmm. Like women mm -hmm. didn't the the female gaze isn't what created this demand for men to be, you know, have six-pack abs and be like seven feet tall, like and mm -hmm. have a 10-inch dick. Like women didn't create that. Yeah. And a lot of women don't want that, you know. So mm -hmm. it's not something that like we're we're not the agents of those standards. And I think that's the important thing to realize is that to me, it's like patriarchy and feminism. You know, a lot of people think patriarchy is for men and feminism is for women, but it's like, no, <laughs> patriarchy is to keep an oppressive power structure in place. And feminism is to liberate everyone. Mm -hmm. um, and I would say that that's the, kind of the same thing here is like, yes, the male gaze hurts everybody. Mm -hmm. And so we all should try to dismantle it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Absolutely. 
Yeah, I think the only thing that I have to add is that um, I think a lot, going back to your point, Nixie, about how we naturalize these things, I think a lot of people argue, well, men are just more um, visual creatures, whereas mm. women, they're more emotional. And so that's why we have more <laughs> like images of women because men yeah. need like the visual titillation and (laughs) but like all of that is just completely conditioning of what we're taught to Mm -hmm. find attractive and how we're taught to view people and women are more conditioned to be emotional and men are conditioned from a young age to watch porn since you're like nine years old or something and then Mm -hmm. just purely be able to get off on like visual stimulation so I think Mm -hmm. like that is like really ridiculous and then I also find that very common argument is that well isn't it amazing to be desired like I think Mm -hmm. it plays into this thing of like the incel culture where a lot of men feel undesired and they dislike that they're never approached by women and they dislike that they never feel like they're ever seen as attractive basically and I, I do think that is like a genuine um, problem for a lot of people and like going back to what you said Nicole but that's not a problem of like women that's a problem of patriarchy and also mm-hmm. I think that just completely um, doesn't take into consideration just like how violent the gay this gaze is and how much it isn't it isn't about just being desired it isn't like mm-hmm. oh I'm so happy that people find me attractive it's about the complete objectification sexualization violence and like I don't think a lot of people understand just how violent a lot of or like how rapey it can feel to be looked at in this way like how much Mm -hmm. just uh, the way someone looks at you can feel like a violence and Mm -hmm. can feel like um, rape (laughs) in some ways and that might sound extreme but it all like feeds into each other anyway I'm sure we're going to go into all of this um, now so yeah I will save (laughs) what I was going to say yeah, well, actually, like, yeah, I'm really glad you brought that up. And I was wondering, Nick, if you wanted to just speak a bit to that, because I know you were saying in our um, in our combos about the difference between like being desired and being objectified and how like it's, it's not actually desire at all because you're you're mm-hmm. ren- you're rendered disposable. You're rendered like, you know, just nothing. Right. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. yeah. And I think uh, the male gaze definitely ties heavily into capitalism and it's a process in which or it's part of the overall process in which bodies are made into commodities. Mm -hmm. So yeah, when you're talking about the male gaze, even people who perfectly fit into the desired male gaze um, still experience, you know, it's still become this object that's interchangeable Mm -hmm. with other people. And it's also a losing game because as we'll probably discuss more in depth later, you know, there's a a pedophilic gaze to it. There's a fetishization of youth in there. Mm -hmm. So like, you're always at the losing end of fitting Mm -hmm. into that anyway. And that's kind of the point. The point Mm -hmm. is to keep everyone focused on things that are just by their very nature, kind of transitory and ephemeral. And like, you're just buying products and you're buying services and you're, you're using social media a lot and just doing all of these things that keep you being a really good consumer Mm -hmm. and also keep you from thinking about things like bodily autonomy and Mm -hmm. like, you know, just other, other aspects that other forms of resistance that could dismantle the male gaze, dismantle the patriarchy, get you away from a capitalist mindset. So it's not about desirability. Mm-hmm. And when you fit into the male gaze in any certain way, like when you're remotely conventionally attractive, you know, 
I, there's all kinds of talks online about pretty privilege and I don't think we have time for that today, but I think <laughs> something important to understand is that, yes, it may give you a certain amount of privilege in terms of maybe people treat you better than they would treat someone who's not conventionally attractive, mm -hmm. but it does also still keep you in an objectified state. So mm -hmm. when I was more conventionally attractive and I would have men, you know, step in front of me on the sidewalk and tell me to take my earphones out because they wanted to talk to me like that doesn't feel good I don't walk around being like yeah I'm so fucking hot <laughs> like these yeah. men think that they just own my body like isn't that mm -hmm. great yeah. um so you know it's just it's it's very important I just think it's it's kind of a not to be mean but it's like a very childish immature view of the world to think that mm -hmm. someone someone who's considered attractive doesn't experience some of this stuff as violence because mm -hmm. it is violent. And yes, mm -hmm. you can have privilege in a certain way. I don't really like calling it privilege, but I can mm -hmm. also understand a lot of times it does also mean that you have privileges, like maybe mm -hmm. you're white, maybe you're wealthy mm -hmm. or whatever it is, but it is teaching people that certain bodies belong to the public essentially. Mm -hmm. And I think that ties into a lot of stuff that may not seem so direct, even like pregnant women or sorry, pregnant people, um, you know, when you walk around, like people feel entitled to touch you and tell you what to do with your body and interrogate you about how you're going to raise your baby. I think it ties into a lot of stuff where we just think that this type of body belongs to the public and mm. doesn't have agency. Mm. And I think that's really important to understand in mm -hmm. these conversations, it's not about who's considered hot and who just gets to have this fun life of being considered hot. Mm -hmm. It's about making all of us feel miserable mm -hmm. and making, yeah. you know, half of the population feel like they belong to the other half of the population. Yeah. And um, Erica brought up and, you know, it's something I'll probably get more into. Maybe we'll see if it comes up today more, but you know, the male gaze is very transphobic and it's very queer phobic. It's very much about keeping people in rigid roles mm -hmm. that have been determined to be the most um, comparable to the kind of societies that we live in. So, you you know, people like do throw up emojis at me because I have short hair. I mean, mm -hmm. it's like I could look so much more queer. I can be so much more offensive to people. But like, mm -hmm. that's how conditioned under, under the male gaze people are, is that any step away from the male gaze mm -hmm. and any step away from if you have male privilege, like, why would you step away from that? Mm -hmm. um, makes like creates, you know, we talked about abject objection mm -hmm. creates like an abject reaction in people where it's literally repulsive to them and disgusting like uh hairy armpits like if someone doesn't shave mm -hmm. their legs or their armpits like that actually makes people like nauseous mm -hmm. because they're so indoctrinated in that is not what women do you know mm -hmm. women mm -hmm. have no hair they have smooth skin and like if you're someone who doesn't give a shit about that it, it's shocking to people Mm -hmm. And it may sound like a small example, but that's huge when you think about it, that we have a whole society where people will have that level, like people will not date you, will not <laughs> even consider dating you, will be embarrassed to be friends with you, won't be seen public with you because you haven't shaved your armpits. Mm -hmm. That's pretty intense. And that's mm -hmm. coming from this constant indoctrination from the male gaze and media. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, I, was, I feel like we should do a, a episode at one point on pri Pretty Privileged because I have so much to say on that as well. Yeah, um, that would be actually, a good topic. Yeah, I actually saw um, people posting about M. Rada's book and how like she was actually like really lucid about how like, you know, she was never really like empowered being like the sexy girl, like whatever hired yeah. that she, she described herself as like a hired mannequin and that like, Anyway, I, I think we could, we could do a whole episode on that. Um, but yeah, that was really well said. And yeah, I mean, it like objectification is not the same as being desired. Like if anything, it's like you're reduced to body parts and like, it's like also people like almost have a disdain for you, right? It's just like, yeah, mm -hmm. you're just tits, you're just ass. It's like, it's like the opposite of being like truly like valued or desired, you know? Um, so I'm wondering if I can share my screen right now because I just want to share this um, two things. So the first is um, this image of the Avengers characters <laughs> and um, like what it would look like if all the men were posing like the woman <laughs> character and like the woman was posing like the man. And it's just, it's yeah, so ridiculous. So like, like, like their backs are like, like, you know, twisted beyond measure, right? Um, oh my God, the whole spec lips are too The whole, yeah, like, but like just the fact that we find this so funny it's like it actually should al really alarm us as mm -hmm. to like the extent to which we've internalized like just absolute fucking bullshit um and the second thing that i wanted to share um is this tiktok of uh what i was talking about earlier um hopefully it'll play do you notice anything weird about these pictures? They're all from children's movies, and I'm sure anyone would agree that children should not be sexualized. So why is it that the female characters that they watch in movies and TV shows are constantly over-sexualized? Like, why is a squirrel in a thirst trap pose? And I know people who are thinking, why do you care? This doesn't matter. Let me present you with this. Viewing sexualized media causes women and girls to internalize these beauty standards and gender roles, leading females to self-objectify or view the self as a sexual object. Why would we want this for our kids? Why would we want this for anyone? Something that you think is silly or inconsequential actually does have cascading negative effects. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, because I was just thinking about it and I'm like, I, you know, I grew up on all of these shows, you know, like Space Jam um, or yeah, just like, like all of these cartoons, like Jessica Rabbit, you know, like just all the mm. women were always like so sexualized, even these that little Pixar short, you know, I remember watching that and like the fact that I didn't even really see any, like I didn't think anything of it or like Bambi or whatever, you know, like just these things were like the girl characters are all like, woo, like whatever. And like they're <laughs> the object of like the male gaze, like in this children's cartoon you know and like there's so you know it's just like it's it's fucking everywhere it's fucking everywhere um and it's just it's absolutely ridiculous like of course you know like of course we don't want um yeah latasha's like yeah space jam like why yeah exactly why was she drawn like that so anyway i just think it just shows like how how early you know we're exposed to this kind of stuff and um how ridiculous it can get and i mean like that's pretty tame compared to like most of what we're shown right and we'll have mm. some more we'll have some more examples later um but i wanted to just quickly like we're gonna do a whole um episode on this on like the, the alternative queer gaze or like the female gaze um but i just wanted to give like maybe some cold notes right now so that people kind of can understand um 
because I think you kind of mentioned it a bit before, Nick, like this idea of the female gaze, like not really being a thing. Um, mm -hmm. And then that's um, like part of like the male gaze theory is that like, even when you have films like um, Magic Mike or like, you know, where, I don't know, what's that guy's name? Um, oh, I'm completely blanking. The guy from like Take Baywatch. Him. Oh, Zach, Zach Efron. Zach Efron. No. Yeah, like, like, like you know, there's just like these buff dudes and like whatever. Um, that like a most often men are still the ones who are directing and making the decisions around how these men are framed and shown. Um, but like you know, it's it's never quite in the same way. Like you know, like male gaze, as you said, harms men too. Um, but even when men are sexualized in media, it's like again not quite the same. And we can see that with like the Avengers thing that I just showed. Um, and, you know, in a lot of these things as well, like the women, the like the audience of women is not really invited to like be into the man just because of his body. You know, like that's not really like what the subtext is inviting us to do. Like rather we're supposed to identify with women who are heroines who are themselves desired by a man, right? So like we're supposed mm -hmm. to identify with the fact that like she is desired by this hot man, right? So it's still like the gaze is still going the same way, if, you, if that makes any sense. Mm, um, yeah. And in a lot of those films, often the men who are being objectified by the film are also objectifying women within the film. Right. Yeah. So again, like you're saying, it's like their bodies are more of a representation of peak masculinity. Right. And then within the, the context of the film, they're being shown given the rewards of having that. Right. Uh, having acquired that by usually objectifying women and having yes. a lot of atten sexual attention and women within the film usually have no agency or character development. Mm -hmm. So if you look at what's happening, it's like, sure, they're being objectified and that, that is harmful and that is mm -hmm. real, mm -hmm. but it is still happening in a context where they are seen as the right. agents of the movie and the um, purveyors of, you know, the spoils of of achieving this you know ide masculine ideal mm -hmm. yeah and then when women reach um peak femininity in movies where they're like the most desired um, person ever they're normally having to t take on the character of hyper masculinity through like girl boss mm -hmm. or this evil villain kind of character so they're they're just having to, sexy like, reinforce... yeah <laughs> Yeah, Cold and Gray said female gaze is often thought as equality in, in objectification, but like, like, yeah, it wouldn't be like just a reversal of the roles, right? It's kind of like feminism isn't just like women's supremacy. It's about abolishing the system that creates the hierarchy in the first place. It's like the same thing with like the male gaze and the female gaze. Um, and Janice Lorick argues that there's no direct female equivalent of the male gaze because the male gaze creates a power imbalance and supports a patriarchal status quo, perpetuating perpetuating women's real life sexual objectification and I would argue violence. And so to me, it's like, um, like she says, the female gaze cannot be like the male gaze. And to me, I'm like, it's kind of like, like almost like reverse racism that like, there's no mm -hmm. power behind it, you know, like it can't be the same thing because there's like, there's not a literal whole society of like oppression and violence that's towards men, you know? I mean, right. and obviously, that's not to say that like men don't experience violence and that there isn't like, you know, like obviously patriarchy harms men a great deal as well. And like, you know, we've talked about that many times before but yeah it's like it's it wouldn't be the same thing and yeah it wouldn't just be like objectification reversed right right so right and that's what i wanted to bring up is that the that that's why 
the more male gazy something gets, the more homoerotic it becomes. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> like if you if you think of the most like objectified male bodies I can think of are like in <laughs> Zack Snyder films. Mm-hmm. And that shit is so fucking homoerotic. It's ridiculous. Like, <laughs> and if you think about what, if you were reversing the male gaze to get the female gaze, the film you would end up with would read as gay like Mm -hmm. it would read as like a like for gay men you know Mm -hmm. it wouldn't read as this is for women Mm -hmm. because (laughs) it just I think I don't know I feel like it's self-evident but like Mm -hmm. every time you have um this extreme objectification of male bodies it is when you it just starts to feel like a joke and it just feels extremely Mm -hmm. homoerotic and it's because it's still coming from the male gaze Mm -hmm. so you have like a man's idea of what this objectification should look like Mm -hmm. and in that you know you get this almost like queer subtext because there's so much like lavish loving of you know bulges and abs and (laughs) oiled up bodies and stuff and you're just like Mm -hmm. um (laughs) and it's (laughs) ironic because it's supposed to be hyper straight hyper heterosexual hyper masculine Mm -hmm. but it because it just becomes super gay Mm -hmm. um and that's why that's why you don't see a Zack Snyder like that's why a Zack Snyder film is not directed by a woman it's not the female gaze even though I think that's what people think of when they think of the female gaze as a movie Mm -hmm. like that but it's like those Mm -hmm. movies are being made by men right whereas if you think of uh, movies directed by women you can see or even uh, I have very mixed feelings about Euphoria which we don't have time for but <laughs> I will say in watching the most recent season they are showing a ton of dick and I'm here oh. for it. um hmm. and I will say like when they film people I feel like they do a pretty good job I mean the girls are very sexualized but I feel like kind of the way that scenes are filmed, I do feel like it's pulled back. It gives everyone agency. I don't feel like the female bodies are necessarily zoomed in on more than the male bodies. And mm-hmm. when they are, it's typically to show like what is being done to them in mm-hmm. a sensual way. Like it's to show, you know, caressing and intimacy and things like that. Mm-hmm. So I'm not saying it's a perfect example, but it's a pretty good like mainstream example of something that is not quite as male gazy as it could mm-hmm. be. Mm-hmm. Or even as it maybe used to be, I can't really remember previous mm-hmm. seasons, but you know, like when you see dicks again, they're like a longer shot away and it's not always as a joke. Um, mm-hmm. This last episode opened up with a queer kind of love story mm-hmm. between two high school boys. And in that, like one of them was naked and the other one was kind of like kept sneaking looks and but it was done in this way it was actually like from a queer gaze it was Mm -hmm. done to show the subtext because they don't come right out and say we're in love with each other Mm -hmm. so it's to show the subtext of you know there's some really sexual feelings here with these Mm -hmm. two boys who are best friends and like Mm -hmm. during a time when it's maybe not safe or normal like normalized to have have that kind of passion for one another. So mm-hmm. I feel like it's a good example of how you can still show sex. I mean, that show is like fucking all over the place. Everyone's naked. Everyone's dressed very provocatively. But I think they're doing a pretty good job of not having it be super male gazy. Mm-hmm. You have all of the characters have agency. They all have their own stories going on. And the, the camera treats them pretty much equally. And mm-hmm. I think that's, it's, you know, how things can be done. Mm. It doesn't mean that we need to watch like 
everyone with collars up to here, yeah. you know, no one showing their ankles or their wrists and, you know, <laughs> just speaking politely to one another. Like we can still have stuff that's very like provocative and sexy and whatever, but mm -hmm. it's just about how the camera is treating the objects mm -hmm. that it's looking at or the mm -hmm. subjects, I should say. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's incredibly well said. And I think, you know, we talked uh, in our abject feminism, uh, thing as well about like the series girls which like again we have like there's a, a lot mm. of problems with and like there are a, a number of i guess male gaze like the sex scenes in that are like kind of weirdly weirdly make, like not not male gazy but kind of but anyway um you know there's a lot of shows like that that you can think about where like yeah there is a lot of nudity but like it's not at all male gazy right like it's not at all mm -hmm. male gazy um and i'm actually surprised that they like showed dicks and like had it like that because i do want to talk more about um you know, why we don't see more dicks and stuff like that um, later. Um, and also in like, I've noticed in other like films that are about uh, like homosexual male love, we usually see like full frontal women being naked mm -hmm. and like no dicks and no, like not even ass or whatever. Like I was thinking about like, call me by your name, which is like a beautiful, passionate love story between these two men. And like, I don't remember seeing any dicks uh, or even like any like ass really, but there's like full frontal female nudity in that. And like Brokeback Mountain, same thing. It's like Anne Hathaway mm -hmm. gets her tits out in the car. And like, I don't even think you see, like maybe you see like Jake Gyllenhaal's ass. I don't even think so. You know, it's like, you don't see anything like from the men. Um, and I want to get into like why that is later, but I like part of it is obviously, I think that like, I don't know, there's just this idea that like, like people won't watch this. Like people won't watch this like actual gay love story if there's not naked women in it, <laughs> you know? Mm -hmm. like, Which is like, like, those people are going to watch it anyway. Exactly. Doesn't matter how many tits exactly. are in there. Yeah. It's so ridiculous. Anyway. Um, <laughs> So yeah, so I just wanted to touch also, like, because you mentioned the queer gays. <laughs> sorry, there's like sorry, I know. a lot of sirens going on. Um, anyway, uh, yeah, because you mentioned like the queer gays. And I just wanted to touch on this because like sometimes, you know, people will push back and be like, oh, well, it's not really the male gays because like, what about lesbians? Like lesbians like it too, right? Or like, is it like, what if it's like a lesbian gaze too? Um, and um, I'm sure you have something to say on this, Nick, but like, first of all, like, by and large, lesbians are not the ones who are making the choices again around how women are portrayed in media. And if they were, I'm positive that it would look, you know, vastly different. Um, like the an actual queer gaze, to, to to my view, would be absolutely nothing like the objectifying male gaze, um, at, like with its with its violence and all of its baggage and and you know all of that. Um, so yeah, I don't know if you had more to say on that, but. Uh, yeah, I just think that's like, please don't tokenize like lesbian people to try and <laughs> legitimize like the perpetuation of the male gaze, you know? Right. Well, yes. And I would say too, that there's actually an extreme amount of harm that goes into that line of thought, because part of what the male gaze does is it colonizes queerness for mm. its own purposes, as particularly sapphic you know, love. Um, so in thinking that a lesbian watching the scene is getting the same thing out of it as a straight man is to mm -hmm. dismiss the fact that straight men so often see lesbians as there for their pleasure. Yes. Because of these kinds of things in movies. Mm -hmm. And it's 
often not representing what a queer partnership would actually look like what a queer um, sexual interaction would actually look like, mm-hmm. you know, for instance, small things, but like, if you watch uh, lesbian porn made for straight men, you know, the girls mm-hmm. always have the long ass nails and they're like <laughs> fingering each other. And it's like, there's actually like the lesbian manicure where you don't get these two nails mm. longer. You have them cut short because mm. Nobody wants to be fingered by like a two inch long nail. <laughs> this is yeah. fucking terrible. Yeah. Um, so it's just little things like that where it's like, this isn't for me though. Like I'm not getting pleasure out of this because this is more for most lesbians or most queer people. It's reminding you of how you're treated on a daily basis by straight men, which is that they the only way they accept your sexuality is if they view it as something titillating for them and something that they can participate in Mm -hmm. so something with a queer gaze is actually refuting that and it's showing that that love is for the people or that sex is for the people who are engaged in it and not for other people Mm -hmm. it shows that this is something that is happening for us not for you Mm -hmm. um and i think another you know, again, I'll go way more into this whenever we do that episode, but the queer gaze is also extremely subtextual because the queer gaze is exploring queerness and queerness is often subtextual. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it's, it's a lot of, um, it's a lot of about, about like how things are being said, how they're being shown and what, what is being said underneath what is being said. Um, if anyone has seen, I want to pull clips from the power of the dog that's a really good movie to talk about like a queer gaze in subtext where it's often when you watch movies where you're like, what's going on here? You just pick up that there's something more to the scenes than what's actually being said and done. And I think that's really a big part of the queer gaze. Not so much, you know, it can include sex and it can include all these things, but it's really not about that. It's more about autonomy, consent, agency, subtext, you know, uh, hidden passion and and things like that than it is about like just showing naked bodies. Mm-hmm. And that's why I say the, the male gaze heightened comes across as homoerotic. But really, if you have like, it's not necessarily a queer gaze because mm-hmm. usually a queer story, a queer fil- film may be very object- objectifying in its own ways, but it's, it's telling something else. There's something else going on rather than a celebration of people who have had power, still having power, right? Mm-hmm. That's mm-hmm. not queer. Like queerness yeah. is about the opposite of that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I also wanted to touch on the fact that with the kind of sex scenes that are shown of uh, lesbians or um, like the sex scenes in general of um, within the male gaze, like how terrible that gives people an understanding of, or gives men in particular an understanding of female pleasure or mm. like pleasure if you have a vagina and mm-hmm. the the kind of um, terrible sexual experiences that come off of these kind of images constantly being shown. And I also think it directly feeds into rape culture on so many levels because if you're constantly seeing um just women as props in in movies purely as objects then you you start to internalize this idea that you're you become attracted to objectified women you become attracted to women who are lifeless and soulless and have no nothing to say 
as a borderner and vulnerable or like the the more you become attracted to basically like the domination because like the 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 gaze is like this dominating view and this completely like how can I look at this person as a way to um yeah turn them into an object and then you start to become I think that people then are internalized this idea that you are attracted to things that are obtained without really um seeing the person or or by being the one that is like dominating and violent in that interaction and so I think like that massively contributes to rape culture on so many levels and then also the fact that it's very paedophilic um, beauty standards and all about youth and innocence and um, all of these things and also contributes to like paedophilia but I also think that going back to the sex thing I think so much of the time the type of sex that is shown or like basically rape is shown in these um, shows like Game of Thrones. I read that there were 50, 50 rape scenes shown oh throughout the whole thing. And um, the Cal Drogo and Ramsey Bolton, um, I wrote this down because I haven't watched like a past season two, so I'm not sure. But those two characters apparently at the end, um, they they end up being these characters that are seen as like good and people are rooting for them so rather than the fact that they're like rapists um mm-hmm. causing us to view them as villains we we see them as these like bad boys or these like mm. um kind of uh, become attracted to it and i remember the first time i watched the season i think it's season two with cal drogo in it i was really attracted to him and i was really attracted to the sex that i was seeing or like i should say rape that i was seeing and um i think that really shows that kind of internalized misogyny internalized male gaze that i was like really attracted to how violent he was to violently he was treating um his I think it was his wife I'm not sure um but anyway and like it's just so ridiculous in so many shows like I think it's Gossip Girl is the same um we are not really taught to see the rape as rape we're taught to sexualize the rape and to romanticize it and like how much that feeds into how we view sex and normalizing rape and also when we are being raped, not really acknowledging, oh, this is violence, instead thinking, oh, this is just normal, or I should just accept this, or this is like hot, or like any of these things. And then, I don't know, I think that the impact that has on rape culture and sexual violence and all of these things um, cannot be overstated. And I think Mm -hmm. it's like not really talked about enough. Yeah, I agree. I was dating someone at the time that Game of Thrones came out and Rome was out and Sons of Anarchy. And I can't remember if there are any other shows, but those shows were all like rape constantly all the time, like every episode. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I would would watch it with my ex and there was a scene of male rape in one of the episodes and he like lost his fucking mind. And I was like, how are you not, like, you don't react to this when all the women are being raped. And he's like, yeah, well, that's normal. And it just was one of those moments where I was like, Mm -hmm. oh, yeah, you know, like, like, that's a fucked up thing to say. But like, he Mm -hmm. wasn't wrong. It, mm-hmm. He was, you know, wrong for thinking that it was okay to think that, but he wasn't mm-hmm. wrong in the sense that like, it is normal. Mm-hmm. It is normal to see mm-hmm. that. And mm-hmm. for him, he's 
always been able to identify with the male characters because that's mm -hmm. how they're filmed and written. Mm -hmm. And so for him to see violence against one of them made him think about violence against himself. But mm -hmm. when he sees violence against women, because they're not written in that way or shown in that way, mm -hmm. it's just this thing that's happening that's normal. And, you know, that's what happens to people. Yeah. And so, Catherine, just to back up your point, it's incredibly damaging. And that was also a relationship in which I've had to process that I think I was basically sexually assaulted the whole time because I was pressured into sex constantly. Mm. And he very much had this idea that his partner should just perform for his pleasure and not their own. Like he even admitted that if I was faking it, he'd be happy. <laughs> and these things like have a direct correlation, mm -hmm. you know, like he had internalized porn he had deeply internalized male gaze and had really brought that into his daily life mm -hmm. and he's a slightly extreme case but I feel like I've had shades of that in most of my relationships with cishet men mm -hmm. so it's, it's a problem it's a real thing yeah Mm -hmm. So, yeah, well, I'm really glad you both brought this up. So I think maybe we can jump to the part of the discussion now um, where we talk about like how rape and sexual assault is filmed and like what not to do uh, and what to do. But yeah, I mean, uh, like I, a lot of people in the chat are talking about Game of Thrones and like, yeah, actually like the popularity of that show actually like really, really bothered me um, because I watched the first season and I was honestly like fuck this, like, fuck this fucking show. I was livid. Um, like, I can't even tell you, like, how upset I was. Um, I mean, first of all, like, someone was mentioning the sex scenes, like, it, even apart from, like, all the rape, like, it was, like, ridiculously male gazy. Like, they had basically, like, like a girl-on-girl -girl porn with, like, like, the man watching, basically, in one of them. And there was, like, other scenes where it was, like, what's her name? I only watched the first season because I, I pieced out, but Dianaris or whatever was, like, learning how to please her man and she's like naked in the bathtub with this other naked woman who's like let me show you how to like ride a man to please him and, and i'm like what the fuck is like actually what am i watching <laughs> but anyway like beyond that yeah like i just i could not forgive it for the way that it filmed rape and sexual assault like none of that was necessary like it's it absolutely um, filmed it in a way that actually like sexualized and like made it like titillating or just like made it like part of this like oh yeah like the good guys or whatever like I remember this one part where a Daenerys is what's the other guy's name Cal Drogo is that his name mm -hmm. I don't Cal know Drago, yeah. but like he's like like in the battlefield and he's like literally raping a woman um, and he like looks up at her and they like have this moment where their like eyes meet and it's like oh yeah like you're doing it for uh, like you're raping this person for uh, like it was just this really weird fucked Oof. up like it was literally like repulsive like actually repulsive um and i was so incredibly upset and like just like devastated by like the way that this was filmed um and the fact that that show went on to be as popular as it was like still actually like devastates me because it shows me that like not only is this stuff so normalized that like like most people don't even see it like they don't even notice it they don't even care um but like if they do like if they do register like yeah this is a bit fucked up it doesn't actually take away from their enjoyment of the media like they can still mm -hmm. like the show and recommend it to other people and i'm like no fuck this like a show is not good you know like i think about other examples of like 
you know, like like that Sia woman who made that horrible, like, mm -hmm. um, you know, ableist movie. Or like, if a movie is like ableist or racist or whatever, like people are just like, this is bullshit, that sucks. Like, this is not good media. But like, uh, media can be like male gazy to the point of being fucking violent and like disturbing. Mm -hmm. And people will be like, this is the best show ever. I fucking love the show, what a great show, you know? And yeah. I'm like, like it actually like, devastates me you know and it's like edgy to watch it it's um, like edgy some, yeah yeah some people brought up spartacus in the comments that was the other show i couldn't i couldn't remember um that show was really fucked up just rape constantly all the time and the you know there's just so many things that come up with these shows because like i remember even still but when game of thrones came out talking to some of my female friends and they're like Oh yeah, I love that show. And yeah, I'm like, doesn't it bother you all the fucking violence, uh, like the sexual violence? And they're like, well, it's realistic. That's what happened then. And I'm like, then it's set in a fantasy world. Like this yeah. isn't real life. <laughs> yeah. First of all, mm -hmm. and second of all, like even if rape was a a reality in certain situations, there's a lot of different ways. Like first of all, we don't need to see it. Mm -hmm constantly you can allude to it you can sh if you need to show it you can show it on occasion when it makes sense to um we had our notes but <clears throat> the handmaid's tale even though i fucking hate that show mm -hmm. does handle the rape scenes quite well mm -hmm. um you know they don't show them often and when they do the way that it's filmed like first of all you're following the female character who's being raped so that you have caught like you know her you have context mm -hmm. for her she is a person in your eyes so when something happens to her it bothers you mm -hmm. versus um what you really used to get to me in uh movie uh, shows like rome and spartacus is they would show people raping just like random yeah like they would literally be in like a bath scene and have mm -hmm. all their servants around and they would just grab one of the servants and start raping them. And it's like, mm -hmm. Jesus Christ, like mm -hmm. <laughs> just so fucking unnecessary, first of all. And mm -hmm. that's what I mean. It's like, okay, that might've been, that might've been a, a reality for servants in ancient Rome. But like, what are you saying with this? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Because you're not saying like, oh, how terrible for this class mm -hmm. of people. And like, um, you're not setting these people up. Like it was one of those shows where everyone is set up to be horrible, but like, that was the fun of it. So mm -hmm. it was like fun that this guy rapes everyone because it's part of his just like, you know, Oh, we're watching these like villainous rich people just do like rich people shenanigans. Mm -hmm. Um, so what are you saying with these scenes? Like what story mm -hmm. are you telling here and what mm -hmm. is the purpose of it? And like also with a show like Handmaid's Tale, it's very obvious what the purpose is. With a show like Game of Thrones, it's just to add to this uh, violent, brutal world building that they're trying to portray. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Go ahead, Max. I was just gonna say, like, also, like, yeah, if you need, if, like, like you said, if you need to show that, like, you could show it in a way where it's not sexualized, you know, like, don't actually, like, make it, like, a titillating thing, like, make it, like, this is a clearly mm -hmm. horrifying thing that's happening, and like we're appalled and like yeah I, I don't know yeah like you don't need to see you don't need to sexualize the person who's being raped you know right you don't mm -hmm. don't have to like have it be part of this like broader glorif glorified kind of like edgy feel of like the media you know like it's disgusting right mm -hmm. yeah like it should have a purpose in the narrative 
-hmm. It should be filmed in a way where it's not sexualized. It's not titillating. Mm -hmm. So many rape scenes are filmed in a way where the woman's body is still sexualized. Yeah. A lot of times male rape is is filmed when it's shown, which is very rare. Mm -hmm. It is shown to indicate that this man has lost all power and control. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So it's, it's still, I mean, that, that is true, but like rape is often about power and control, but do you know what I mean? It's filmed in a way to emasculate the character, Mm -hmm. not Mm -hmm. to build like sympathy for the character. Mm -hmm. It's to show like, Oh, this guy, you know, is just completely emasculated now. He's destroyed because he just lost all mm-hmm. of his power in the scene mm-hmm. or the situation. And um, the way that the other person, the uh, perpetrator is filmed is very important as well. You mm-hmm. know, and again, I think Handmaid's Tale handles that probably about as well as what I've seen. Mm-hmm. And I've watched a lot of stuff too, where rape is even the main storyline, um, but it's not shown. Yeah, exactly. Proving it doesn't need shown exactly we we can understand you can allude to that a rape happened or you can tell us that it happened we do not need to see it Mm -hmm. in order to understand the character's experience or motivations and that's the biggest thing that bothers me i hear that all the time with like game of thrones um is like oh this character's rape had to be shown because it was part of the story and it's like (laughs) but why did seeing it like why did you need to see it yeah yeah you can no. understand that it happened. You can mm-hmm. allude. I mean, we all understand when a guy walks into a room mm-hmm. and a girl looks weird and the door's closed, we know what happens. Mm-hmm. We don't mm-hmm. see it. And like that yeah. can be even more scary, right? Like just that, mm-hmm. like the fear, like, you know. So sorry, Catherine. I yeah. I also think that so much of the time the only kind of rape that we've seen is by very conventionally attractive white women, yeah. often middle class, thin, all of these things this and that like just contributes to this idea that the only people that are um victims of this stuff are like beautiful white cis women and then that directly feeds into people of other marginalized groups not being taken seriously when they experience rape because it's like oh people like you don't get raped like you're fat no one wants to rape you like these kind of um disgusting ideas and that also then leads people to internalize the idea like oh i haven't actually been assaulted because i mean i don't fit into this um category of the type of victim that is usually um like seen as like a valid victim um and yeah i also think a really good example is the 365 days movie which was um, the most viewed movie in the US when on Netflix when it came out and it basically is all about this woman being abducted and then she falls in love or they fall in love with each other um, and yeah like he he's a rapist there's like massive Stockholm syndrome in there but yeah we're very much taught to romanticize it and I think mm-hmm. that it just is like really indicative of the internalized male gaze as well and how much like with everyone all your friends talking about how they liked game of thrones and like this is just normal and like this is how mm-hmm. it would happen i think it's like our desire to be the cool girl and to be mm-hmm. the one that's like mm-hmm. oh i'm so down for this kind of um, yeah sex or i'm so i would be so okay with like um someone like doing this to me and um just uh, completely internalizing the desire for that kind of bad boy that is actually an abuser and mm-hmm. so I don't know and I think the same with 365 days like uh, I think it's just this we're so taught to romanticize our own 
um, suffering and violence against ourselves that then we internalize that like oh this is so normal and then we want to see it as normal and I think it's it's also just because it's harder to like confront how much how damaging it is for ourselves so it's easier for us to just be like oh yeah I'm so down for this um, I'm completely like um, yeah I don't know <laughs> into this mm-hmm. and then like then we can kind of benefit from like playing into those well we think that we're benefiting from it um but yeah we're actually not <sighs> yeah um yeah like i it really does disturb me like how you brought up that like so many times were the show then goes on to like humanize these characters who are like rapists or whatever mm-hmm. <laughs> like that it to me is actually like so completely disturbing and i haven't watched this but you were talking about like the witcher and how like he's mm-hmm. actually a john like he pays for sex with a sex worker or whatever and i'm like yeah like there's actually a, a ton of stuff that's like john aganda you know it's like cop aganda but john aganda <laughs> you know where it's mm-hmm. like we're supposed to actually like feel good about this man because like oh but like he's a nice guy when he like (laughs) you know what I mean it's just like what the actual fuck you know like I found that so disturbing um but yeah I mean I think there's a lot of media that like does this kind of stuff really badly like I you know I wanted to bring up um the wolf of wall street because also like fuck Scorsese I will never (laughs) forgive him I will never forgive him for that fucking film you never will not I never no he's fucking dead to me um but like that was such a great example of like things that did not need to be shown and like things that like were awful but then were actually like you know, sexualized and glamorized and, you know, uh, in, in this way that was incredibly inappropriate because I'm like, okay, bro, like if the idea is to show that like these men are misogynist, like there's a million ways of showing that they are misogynist without then actually like sexualizing, like titillating, glorifying and reifying the misogyny that you were apparently here trying to critique. You know, I don't even know if he was trying to critique it or whatever, but like there's just so much media like that where it's like, is this supposed to be a critique because you're actually like, you're doing a misogyny here. Like this is the most, violently male gazy film that I've seen and like where's the critique like you're like that's the the pinnacle of like edgy kind of like bullshit where like the edginess is just the misogyny you know Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and like I'm just like so I'm just I can't I can't I can't handle it you know yeah absolutely um I also wanted to talk about how like the fact that we constantly get off on or men are taught to get off on women having no agency and not having anything to say um, or contribute or just being an object just directly feeds into like just how many experiences that we all have had of how men in relationship with us or friendship, whatever, will just continuously just see us as these side characters, like these props for their own story, for their self-actualization, for their... Um, for their lives basically like um, how many times they will spend 95% of the time talking about themselves without us being able to get a word in Edways and um, for them to see us as there in their lives to like help them on their journey and whilst we're like oh what about me we're like <laughs> what like am I just supposed to exist for you to to like live is that all that there is here um, and that's like so normalized and I think I mean, you, we've probably all had experiences of people that we've known or personally where you, like younger women in particular, get into relation, relationships with men and then 
um, they give up so much of themselves for the men. They follow the men around. They lose themselves much more in the relationship as the men are like able to do whatever they want, basically. Um, and I think that this is all just a big part of the fact that when when you're constantly seeing images and like the media where women are just props in the story for like whatever the men are doing then you're obviously going to internalize that as like oh that's just the way that my interactions with men in general um have to go and and yeah and i think that is it's just such an a deeply internalized thing and i've i've definitely um experienced that and i found find that a lot of the time men just like refuse to listen to women um or and feel like we have nothing to say nothing to contribute because we're just and we're just a body we're just based we they think that we just have nothing other than like our appearance <laughs> um there to like reflect them back to themselves like a mirror for them and um and yeah and i think because so often in these movies it's like the internal life of women is never ever shown in any way it's just yeah just an object mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. um yeah so i want to talk about like the effects of the male gaze as well but i also want to like kind of circle back to the reasons why the male gaze exists so i don't know what do you guys feel like discussing first <laughs> I think probably why it exists. Okay. Um, okay. So yeah, reasons why it exists. Um, so I wanted to dig into this because what you were saying before, uh, Nick, about like the vulnerability stuff, I really, really want to dig into that. But I mean, I think one main obvious reason why the mill, I mean, obviously historically because men have dominated this industry and like been the ones making the decisions i mean obviously that's partly why it exists um but also it's partly like against homo like against homoeroticism like i know that nick you were saying that like mm. a lot of times like when ma- when men do make the decision to um like show male bodies like it can be read it as homoerotic but like i don't know like yeah it's never really um like the the reason that we see like female nudity all the time and it's always so sexualized and whatever and like sexual violence against women or whatever like partly I think that's because like men don't want to be aroused by other men you know what I mean like they don't want Mm -hmm. to sit and like I think that's partly why like in those gay films like films about gay passionate love we have like full frontal naked women and no naked men because it's like the audience is always presumed to be that like neutral player of the cis head man. And like that person doesn't want to be aroused by the men or whatever, because like, that's, you know, um, would be the, the worst thing to happen for a cis head male. Um, I think it's also partly like around possession and power and ego, obviously like men don't want their women to be aroused by other men like it's fine if i'm sitting Mm -hmm. in a movie theater next to my boyfriend and there's like and he's just being like completely titillated by like everything going on but like he would be completely jealous and like enraged not like my current partner obviously (laughs) like he's amazing but (laughs) like you know like men in general right like i've had so many partners who would like actually lose their shit if like i was the one that was being visually catered to and whatever Mm -hmm. and i was i was the one who was looking and i was the one who was agent um and he was the one who had to feel vulnerable and he was the one who had to compare himself to the images that he was seeing on the screen or whatever like men don't want to be in that position um and so i think that's like definitely a big part of it 
Um, and yeah, like the vulnerability, like that ties into the mm -hmm. vulnerability that you were talking about, because like, you know, which bodies are unveiled and which are not is completely tied to this idea of vulnerability. Um, because I know like people can argue like, oh, well, you know, it makes sense that we see women's tits but not dicks because like if you see women's tits like the equivalent is seeing a man's chest but i would i would argue it's not like i think that obviously men's chests can be sexualized and it can be you you know you can visually represent that in a really eroticized way um but the fact that like men get to walk around everywhere with their shirts off all the time means that like there's not that kind of like unveiling that's happening so it's not like sexualized in the same way right um because like when you think about even like in olden days when you, you know, like people were like, oh, don't show your ankle or whatever. Like it's the <laughs> unveiling, like the, the thing that's sexualized and eroticized is the mm -hmm. unveiling of that thing. Right. And that's where the vulnerability lies. Right. And we had, we have a whole stream about breasts um, and the sexualization of breasts. <laughs> so you should go check it out. Um, but yeah, in that stream, we talk about like the sexualization of the breast often being this colonial imposition where like, yeah, if, if we were actually walking around all the time with our breasts out, like, you know, cutting grass or like, you know, like just doing like regular things, they would cease to be like sexualized in the same way. Right. And so I think that like, it's not really the same because um, when actresses are exposed, you know, like you have men who really like will glob onto that. I don't know if people remember, but Oh, what's his fucking name? Um, did I write it down? The creator of South Park, Seth MacFarlane. Seth MacFarlane. Anyway, mm -hmm. he was hosting the Oscars one year and he wrote like a whole musical performance about which actresses' tits we had seen in films in the year before. And it was so objectifying and disgusting and like degrading or whatever. Um, but like- There's also like Reddit threads and, and different forums where oh they God. tell you every movie and what timestamp the- topless scenes are oh my god like yeah like, it's just like it's it's so disgusting right like it's because like these men really feel like they're like getting like winning something over on these women because there is that like vulnerability and there is mm -hmm. that like unveiling and they are made to be like an object in that way and we would never have that like the other way around right like the male gaze would never allow us to have that as the other way around um because like it's not just the actresses then because like as an audience member you are then invited to um you know, resonate with the the people that you see on screen. And obviously you're going to resonate the, with the people who are like closest to you. So like as an audience member, like you as a man don't have to feel vulnerable if there's not like dicks on screen or whatever. Um, and I just think that's like such a huge part of it. Like I actually had an ex-partner who like said something about like that he, you know, he thought Anne Hathaway was pretty. And I guess in Brookback Mountain, like she shows her tits or whatever. And he said that he actually like felt closer to her because he had like seen her tits. And I was like, gross, dude. Okay, like, dude. Like, what the, <laughs> like, actually, what the fuck? Also, why would you tell me that? Like, that's just like, I, I was just so like grossed out, you know? But like, that's what it is, right? And like, yeah, like men don't want that, first of all. But like, as you said, like, if we ever do see a dick and like, you know, God forbid it's sexualized. Um, it's usually a prosthetic, mm -hmm. um, partly because of like, whatever, you know, that's just how the male gaze frames dicks. But also it's like the actors in that situation, I think like would never 
want to show their real dicks. And I'm not sure, like, I don't think men would pressure men to do that. Like male directors make these decisions all the time for women and say like, if you're not showing your tits in this film, like you're out of it, you know? Like how yeah. many times have actresses been made to make those decisions? Like either you do this or you you get out and you don't get your big break or whatever, you know? Um, yeah. but, but usually that doesn't happen to men because if men if men's dick, like if, if a really popular actor, like if we saw his dick and it was like, curved or like small or like not this kind of completely pornified idea of like what a dick would be then like he would be completely like emasculated in the eyes of the patriarchy and then like he would not you know what I mean so yeah. it's like there's there's a lot that goes into this that's like actually really disgusting and like fucked up right yeah so, yeah yeah I remember Kira Knightley on some terrible movie she was in I don't remember which one but somehow I encountered some interviews she had where she was joking and laughing about how the director of that movie and her kept going back and forth. And she's like, I'll give you my ass, but not my tits. And he's like, I want your tits. And she's like, no, just my ass. And she was like saying it like it was funny. And I'm like, this is so horrifying to me. Yeah. Yeah. You know, like I always think about that for actors in general, like it just sucks that so much expectation now, and I'm not a prude, like I'm fine seeing sex in movies mm -hmm. and TV shows, but it just feels like everything has so much like really explicit sex in it now mm -hmm. that it's like, how would you be an actor yeah. if you just didn't want to do that stuff or you didn't want to mm -hmm. do it like all the time, you know, yeah. I just, yeah. it seems really exhausting to me. Mm -hmm. um, and yeah, for men, like now it's more common that maybe we'll see their butts but like mm -hmm. it's still not quite you know they're not as yeah. vulnerable and they're not as yeah. like put on display as the way that their female actress like actresses are mm -hmm. um which I find just really upsetting and I'm too bad yeah <laughs> but yeah and I think with, with penises it's really interesting too because if you're seeing them on film they probably are flaccid Mm -hmm, yeah and so it's just a very interesting uh scenario there and I think that's a big you know like men cis men obviously um f that is a very vulnerable state for them to be in mm -hmm. and I think for them they can understand that and feel that but like it's it's like but it's not really actually less vulnerable for someone with breasts to be yeah exposed as well like now you yeah. know what my nipples look like what the shape of my breasts are yeah. like you know everything about them and you can critique mm -hmm. them so it's like exactly the same vulnerability mm -hmm. but it's never framed that way like no. you know and guys dicks just aren't sexualized in the same way mm -hmm. that boobs are yeah you know i think maybe in like gay media that's mm -hmm. how I always knew I was a gay man on the inside because I fucking love dicks. <laughs> I love to see them. I think they're Me very too. sexy. Um, yeah, but for most most people, like if you see a dick, you're just kind of like, all right, that's a dick. You know, like it's not it's not like boobs. It's not like this whole sexualized erotic kind of thing for most people to see. But that's because we've been penis. trained that way. That's oh, I because know. We've been trained. You know. I know. Because I think that part of this, um, I part of it is like. I wrote down like this idea of like the stories that we tell about bodies. And I think that this is like, there's a really prominent story that we tell that like, you know, women's bodies are works of art and like male bodies are just these like utilitarian, like ugly, gross mm -hmm. things that like nobody wants to see. Right. And I think that women can really internalize and like repeat this too. Like that's actually something that like Elaine Bennis says on 
in on Seinfeld. Like that's like literally what she says to Jerry when yeah. he's like talking about like, oh, why doesn't she find me sexy? And like she says that like women's bodies are works of art and like male bodies are like, oh, you know, like not to be seen, right? And I'm like, but we're trained into that, right? Like these are just stories that we have inherited from this like really heteronormative, like, you know, cis patriarchy uh, kind of a society where, you know, like women on women. Yeah, like that's hot because that's in service of the male gaze. But like men on men is like, no, 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 we don't want to see that. Right. And it's like, mm -hmm. it's actually ridiculous because like we're all just animals. Like we're all just like living beings, like sensual, erotic beings on this planet together. Like all of our bodies are works of art. Like all of our bodies are perfectly fine and can be completely sexy and sensual and whatever, like as they are. But like these are the stories that come from this like highly sexist society, you know? And like mm -hmm. in ancient times, like, you know, like even like, you know, David or like whatever, like in ancient art <laughs> um, and like a lot of it, it's like biblical or whatever. So it's not really, you know, my taste, but like, you know, you, you had male bodies being presented as beautiful, as strong, as, as vulnerable as whatever. Um, and I feel like increasingly, I don't know, we're just so not, we're just so scared of like homoeroticism. We're just so, we've just like come to this place where it's like women are to be seen, men are not to be seen, you know? And I think that's yeah. really mm -hmm. bullshit. And yeah, and I think so much of it comes from as well, this complete alienation from our bodies. That's, that was a key part of the institutionalization of capitalism. And like, I feel like we bring up Silvia Federici in every single stream that we do. But yeah, in Caliban and the Witch, um, she talked about the fact that this kind of separation of men and women, like pitting them against each other was a key part of the, um, transition to capitalism and undermining class solidarity and I think like this is just another tool of that like the the more that we um constantly only see women as these objects in the eyes of men like how are we ever going to really unite and come together in solidarity it just it just leads to this situation where a lot of men feel like they can't even be friends with women like oh men and women aren't really ever friends um because it's just like they can't possibly imagine like a friendship that doesn't involve sexualizing <laughs> this woman mm -hmm. and i think mm -hmm. like it's so internalized and so normalized but um it does completely undermine us like actually in all of our like movement building in general and i also think that it's a, a very key tool of capitalism as well because it completely extinguishes our imaginations. And I think having a radical imagination is so important for us to like envision a different future and utopia. And when we're constantly, like the male gaze is very much about um, like actually visually seeing the, the like breast or um, the arse or whatever, um, it leaves nothing to your imagination, like everything is so immediately seen. And so, um, and everything is about speed as well, like how quickly can you see things as opposed to like the build-up of like sensuality or whatever. And I think that, yeah, and then obviously with the conditioning of porn from such a young age, I think we've, it, it all contributes to this extinguishing of any kind of imagination. And like, the more that our imagination is extinguished in like one, one of the most vulnerable realms of our lives, which is our sex life, like how are we really able to imagine other ways? And obviously, um, the extinguishing of imagination is like a wide issue that like is not just <laughs> related to the male gaze. But I do think it contributes massively to our inability to get around capitalist realism. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm.
Sorry, I feel like that maybe was that um, off track from. The, like, no, point no, there. it was just a really <laughs> profound point, and I'm like, oh, I hadn't considered that. <laughs> <laughs> well, and to your to part of your point at least that uh, the Euphoria episode where they're showing this friendship between these two boys like ends with them kissing. And by, by the time they kiss, you've seen them both naked, like, multiple times. But the kiss is just, like, whoa. You know, it because there's this buildup and there's this context and this story behind it, it's, like, the kiss was so much more powerful and sensual and, like, whatever than their whole naked bodies were. Mm-hmm. And it did, not everything has to be you know, I don't want to put it in a context, like everything has to like be romantic and have that, that Mm -hmm. whatever to it, but it's just, yeah, I think it's really hard to, I find it really hard to engage with other people sexually because so often there's no sense of, yeah, like let's, let's like build something Mm -hmm. instead of just jumping into it and then figuring out if we even want to be doing what we're doing, Mm -hmm. you know, there's just such a lack of like, chemistry and buildup and and communication I don't know yeah Yeah. it's just like purely mechanistic you know yeah and Um, then yeah the sex we have is just very mechanical and very scripted and it just you know it's like we could have just taken an extra 30 minutes and had such a better time you know or we could (laughs) have we could have like teased this out all night and then had like a really great time Mm -hmm. yeah absolutely Mm. um yeah, because we've talked before about like Audrey Lord's kind of like the erotic versus the pornographic and whatever. And um, I think we should like maybe go into that more in like another video. But um, yeah, like yeah. Esperanza posted recently about like how porn and like the I would say the male gaze more broadly really like separates intimacy from sex and just like leaves it as this like mechanistic commodifiable like just strips it down to its most commodifiable part which is like the mechanistic and it's always around like the male orgasm as well um Mm -hmm. so yeah so yeah i think it might be a good time to talk about like the effects um there was one last thing i wanted to bring up which kind of relates going into the effects or whatever was like the way that sex is shown um is also really detrimental like aside from the fact that like it's usually like you know, very male gazy and like, you know, we're not seeing the man and we're just like seeing the whole woman or whatever. Um, it's also always shown in this way that like would not feel good for someone with a vagina, which like Catherine, you were touching on before. Um, and again, I want to shout out another stream that we did called Sex and Socialization. Actually, we can link these in, in the description box um, below mm-hmm. because in that stream, Sex and Socialization, we actually go through like the anatomy of the vagina and like different positions and like, you know, erogenous zones of the vagina and like what like typically feels good and what doesn't or whatever so people can like dig into that if they're interested but yeah like so often we're seeing sex scenes that like would not feel good for a person with the vagina are highly performative and then like end around the male orgasm which is extremely detrimental especially for young people who like don't have a lot of experience and like this is what they're seeing sex is and I wanted to bring up a, a example um the house of Gucci which um, I watched <laughs> recently. And like, this was not a male gazy movie. Like, you know, I, I didn't find it overly sexualizing like the women or whatever, but like the sex scene that they have is actually so ridiculous. Um, 
like and it's very emblematic of like how these sex scenes usually go it's like extremely fast it's like oh my god like heat of the moment we got to do this now there's absolutely no foreplay like the man is just like shoving it in like with nothing like you you haven't touched her you haven't like done anything like there's no foreplay you're just like ramming it in um they're like on a desk together and then like like he's just like ramming up like this like really like hard and fast and jolting and she's like like that and she's screaming and i'm like okay a that would be painful b like you're not doing like the wave so you're not like you're like there's no way you're stimulating her g-spot there's no way that you're stimulating her clit so i don't know why she's screaming she might be in pain like it's like it and it but well, then what's the difference really right what's the difference yeah and it's over in like 20 <laughs> seconds. And I'm like, there's no way she came, but she's like screaming like she did, right? And I'm like, are you fucking kidding me? Like, are we still doing this? Like, are we still mm. in the year of our Lord 2022 showing sex scenes that are so outlandishly like would never feel good for a vagina and framing it as like, this is really hot, you know? Mm. And it's like, what, yeah, when I was younger and I didn't know any better, cause like, where do you get education around this? Like, yeah, like movies, film, porn, all of that like feels terrible for a vagina mostly, right? Um, and so like, you're out there and you're like emulating this like painful, awful sex and you're, you're feeling like you need to perform. Um, and like, you know, you're wondering, like, is there like, what's the big deal? Like, why do people love, like, what's the big, all the fuss around sex? Like, it feels like literally friction, right? And then mm -hmm. like, you know, you become more experienced, you learn about your, you know, you learn about your anatomy and you realize like, there's a reason that it feels like friction because like, you're not actually stimulating any of like the spots that you're supposed to be stimulating or whatever. Um, or yeah, and, and it's just like, I don't know. I just find it so terrible that we're still we're still doing this. Like it's still so malgazy to the point that like we're teaching people to to emulate this like painful, ridiculous, like <sighs> unenjoyable sex that's completely framed around like male pleasure. Um, and all I think during those scenes is UTI. Like oh my so God, yeah. <laughs> many scenes in movies. I'm like that just gives you a UTI every yeah. time. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No. Yeah. I'm like good fucking luck. And there's never any protection. I know this is kind yeah. of tangential, but like, I'm always still just shocked at how many things I watch where no one is ever using protection mm -hmm. or talking about S STIs mm. or consent. Mm -hmm. And it's like, I get it. I know that that stuff isn't thought of as sexy, but mm -hmm. like, hello, we're 2022. Like we're, I believe at this point we know, you know, and not to preach to people, do what you want with your bodies, but like, it just, that's the kind of thing. It does affect how you feel mm -hmm. when you go to sleep with someone. Yes. And then it's seen as like, that's, I think we talked about this before, but that scene in New Girl where she was basically making fun of uh, sleeping with that guy who like wanted to have consent at every step of what mm -hmm. they were doing. And it's like, it's just always portrayed as this horrible, dry boner killer kind of thing to use protection or to to have consent and it's like mm -hmm. it's not at all it doesn't yeah. have to be and that can yeah. be part of your foreplay mm -hmm. it's talking about that stuff but that only happens if you're like taking your time mm -hmm. and yeah I've I've slept with guys who just you know expect me to get off in like three seconds and yeah. I'm like 
And the irony is I do come pretty quickly. Yeah. <laughs> like I'm really not very hard to please, mm -hmm. but I need more than three fucking seconds of you. Like <laughs> just like even... blasting like that. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Giving me a UTI yeah. um, to get there. <laughs> and then, and then I think what's really dangerous about the whole thing, something that's occurred to me in like several of these examples you've been talking about is just how much it impacts the male ego. Mm. And for, people who date cis men, you know that a man with a bruised ego is dangerous mm. in some respect. Like, you know, to fear that. And mm -hmm. so for me to bruise my partner's ego simply by saying like, that didn't really work for me, mm -hmm. or I might need to do something different. Mm -hmm. That's pretty fucked up. And it's, and it's mm -hmm. a subtle thing. It's kind of a nuanced thing, but I found that's where a lot of my sexual trauma comes from is having mm -hmm. internalized that I'm not happy. I'm not having a good experience around sex, mm -hmm. or maybe I just don't want to have sex right now. Mm -hmm. But if I say that my partner is going to take it personally and get hurt, mm -hmm. and I don't want mm -hmm. him to be upset either because I'm afraid of him or because mm -hmm. he's going to pout and just, you know, have his ego bruised. And I don't want to, obviously I care about this person. I don't want to hurt them. Um, and I think like, that's, that's a pretty violent uh, consequence of the male gaze is that the way, I think the big reason we have an issue with these scenes is that they're portrayed as if the man, everything he does is amazing. Mm -hmm. I have dated people who have genuinely asked me if I've like orgasmed putting in a tampon and I'm like, <laughs> that's not how yeah. that works. Yeah. You know, and it's, and it's just, it's this perpetuation of, it's not, it's not just like, oh, bodies are different and sex is different mm -hmm. for everyone and people need things. It's, it's, I have failed as a man mm -hmm. because my dick isn't just making this person like come yeah. the second I put it in them. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And it's annoying. That's a problem, but it's dangerous. It leads mm -hmm. to a lot of sexual violence mm -hmm. in many different ways. And mm -hmm. that's what I think we wanted to talk about this today because it is a perpetuation of a lot of violence and a lot of, I think, nuanced interpersonal violence that happens in relationships and in sexual situations with cis men. Yeah where your body, your body's there basically to like validate them and their prowess. Mm -hmm. And if you're not mm -hmm. doing that, they don't yeah. handle it well. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You know, and you learn that very young. You learn that from a very young age that it's we like, learn oh. to perform it. Yeah. You learn to perform it for their benefit exactly. and your benefit. <laughs> exactly. And yeah. that's why too, like, you know, if you have a lesbian scene or a threesome scene with two women from the male gaze, like, again, it's just, you know, you can watch that as a person with a vagina or a lesbian and be like, that's not how that works. But it just perpetuates this idea of like, I wanted to say too, I think it coloni colonizes even our idea of what queer sex looks like. Mm -hmm. um, I mentioned this before, but I have a, a lot of gay male friends who don't like anal or it's something they only like to do once in a while. And even that has just been kind of perpetuated as like what everyone does because gay male porn is still shot from like a male gaze. Mm -hmm. And then the way that gayness is represented in media is always fixated on this one sex act when there's mm -hmm. like 
a whole world of things that you can do with one another. Mm -hmm. So it's just, yeah, it's, it's colonizing our bedrooms basically and making it, making it anywhere from uncomfortable to unsafe for us Mm -hmm. to assert our individuality in those situations. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then our sexual liberation from these like oppressive (laughs) situations is just about us gaining control over our our own objectification but it's still inherently about objectification like um like only fans for example supposedly being empowering but it's still like feeding into the male gaze or like with body positivity like a lot of the or the vast majority of the images is still people posing in hypersexualized ways for the consumption of other people and like looking at the camera in a way that lures in the viewer and still like emphasizing like certain body parts sexualizing their breasts and things like that so even when we're taught to like liberate ourselves it's often just feeding into the same objectification sexualization and male gaze Mm -hmm. I think it also like really um disconnects us from our own gaze and I think that's like something that really fucked me up like growing up because it really just like not only like it disconnects you from your body because like you know I've had so many sexual experiences when I was younger where like I I was not in my body like I was like a third person like watching to make sure that like I looked good for this person like Mm. my whole like my whole idea of me enjoying this was like me being sexually desired by this other person um and then when you're not in your body like that of course you're not gonna like know what what feels good you're not gonna know like you're just gonna be purely performing and like not really even listening to like your own cues of like what you want what you don't want um and it's really damaging um I actually wanted to read this um it was posted by a couple of people and I just thought it was like really true. And I think that this is definitely um, something that the male gaze really um, makes us internalize. So it's um, women aren't embracing their sexualities. They're embracing being sexualized. They're internalizing categories made by men and deriving pleasure from the thought of giving men pleasure and of being attractive in the third person and convincing themselves that this is the same thing as genuinely feeling sexual pleasure and agency. Women are being taught to derive sexual pleasure from being found attractive or appealing in some way, whether by how they dress or what sex acts they perform for men. They are being encouraged not to think about what sex acts that they find most pleasurable or what about male bodies that they like best, but to value how men value them sexually. Here is an aspect of pseudo female power. Like they are the only ones capable of driving this man crazy with want. They are the only ones capable of handling this man with all his intensity. They are the only ones capable of satiating his lust. And they are the only ones capable of driving men to their knees. Women are groomed not to desire, but to eroticize being desired. Mm -hmm. And that just like rings so fucking true for me. And like, you know, not only does it lead you into these like sexual situations that like can be downright traumatic, first of all, because like, you know, you're also like with these men that like, and we we did a, a whole episode on this too, like just <laughs> watch all of our episodes, but yeah, on like bad sex versus sexual assault, where like you're consenting to something or whatever, but then like you're in the situation and like something clicks and like you become object, you know, like you mm. become like you, you, like that person is not there with you either. Like they're picturing porn in their head or they're picturing like, like they're not there. Like you are an object now that they are doing sex to, <laughs> or Nick, mm. in a voice that you described as like doing sex on the person, you know? Yeah. 
like not with them. Like you're not with me. You're doing sex to me. And I think that the male gaze perpetuates this idea that sex is something that happens to women or it's something that women do for men. It's mm. not like a consensual mutual experience that like both parties are entering into. Um, we're both like want to be like, leave that feeling satisfied and good and happy and like safe and you know fine right and so like not only does it lead you into those kind of situations but like for me i mean i've been really open about um you know my eating disorder <laughs> that i had for like 10 years and um honestly body dysmorphia is something that i will struggle with for my entire life i mean i'm definitely in a better place now but all of that also can like that is like the number one reason that i now have chronic illness i have a, a chronic i have an autoimmune disorder you know is because of like the actual damage that I did to my body over that extremely long period of time. And over that time, like I just completely ignored all the cues that I was getting from my body as it was slowly breaking down, like all of the migraines I was having, the insomnia that I was developing, like the, you know, like all these like cues from my body that were telling me that like, shit is breaking down here. Um, and I refused to listen because like, I was so like, I like my only value was in like my appearance and like how I was presenting myself to the male gaze that like, I just didn't want to hear it. Like I knew that the answer was probably that I needed to get help from this, but that would mean that my body would change and I could not handle that, you know? Mm -hmm. And so like, I'm finally at a place now where like, I'm a bit better, but I still deal with this like all the time. And like, I know like so many of my women friends also deal with like extremely serious mental health issues around body dysmorphia. And like, I just don't want people to like write that that off as like, oh, that's nothing, you know, because like mm -hmm. I made my one video about this like a while ago and people were just like, basically, again, like, well, why are you talking about this? Like people are starving and like, oh, no, you're being looked at or like whatever, you know, um, and I'm just like, yeah, it, it actually like it does affect your health. Like it is actually a serious issue. And like, sure, it's not like the most serious, like, you know, whatever. But I'm like, who's to say what <laughs> is that serious? You know, I don't know. I just found that like really fucked up. But yeah, like it's been made worse, like being on these platforms because like I'll get like I used to get way more comments about my appearance, like whether that be good or bad. It's a bit better now. But like, you know, back in the day, like, for example, somebody was commenting on my nose like repeatedly for some reason. And like I'm a person with body dysmorphia. So like after that happened, like I could not look in the mirror without seeing my nose and thinking it was too big or whatever. Like I became like completely obsessed with this I looked into like getting rhinoplasty and it was like eight thousand dollars so I was like all right that's not <laughs> happening but like like honestly like this like it took me a long time to actually like move past that and to be able to like look in the mirror and be like okay my nose is fine but I only moved past it because I moved on to like some other part of my body like now it's my stomach now it's my wrinkles now it's my like whatever you know um mm -hmm. and because I know that some people are going to be like oh you're critiquing the male gaze and yet you're like here you are wearing makeup like you're participating in it like curious you know and it's like yeah fuck yeah I am because like I know how I'll be treated and how I am treated mm -hmm. when I don't participate you know and like I can't handle that shit like I'm, I've already been so broken by it that like I'm done like yeah you know like I would love to I, I'm working on it I would love to come on here like without makeup and just being like fuck it like here I am but like I'm not there yet because like yeah like it's really painful I actually didn't even tell you guys this but I got this like really weird email recently that was like there was like a threatening undercurrent to it, but it was like, cause it was sent to like my personal email. So mm. it was kind of like this person was showing me like, I know who you are. And it, there was nothing in the email. It was just like a subject line. And it was like, damn girl, like you've really let yourself go. No wonder why you give a sh so much about like 
body positivity lately or whatever, you know? And I'm like, wow, you really felt the need to like do this. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, like it's, it's just like so extreme, like being like online and like having all this stuff happen when you already have like a whole history of like body dysmorphia or whatever. But yeah, and I also told the story in the bad sex video about like people putting my photos on this Reddit thread of like women whose breasts apparently grew later in life or whatever. But I'm like the before pictures were me when I had my eating disorder. So I was extremely thin, like obviously my breasts were smaller. And then recently was when I like my thyroid broke. And so I was back to like this and like, obviously they look bigger or whatever. And someone pointed it out to me and I was like, thank you for telling me, but also like, okay, so you're going to tell me because you know me, but like all these other women on this page are just like fair game to like gawk at and like comment on their breasts. Like, and whether it, they grew or not, like, like men are spending their time doing this, you know, <laughs> like, yeah. like this what's happening. Um, so yeah, like it's, uh, it's just a lot. So anyway, I just want to like get out in before everyone's like, Oh, you're critiquing the male gaze and yet you're participating. Like, yeah, of course I'm participating. Like, it's like mm. you're treated like fucking ass if you don't participate. <laughs> right. Well, and I think it's definitely a perpetuation of the male gaze or how the male gaze has trained us to mm-hmm. assume that any person wearing makeup or dressed in a certain way is doing it to solicit attention. Yeah. And is open to any and all kinds of feedback. Yeah. That's... um. I don't think people get that. Like, like it's, um, the last time I lost a lot of weight, you know, I had literally every fucking person, like people I had literally never talked to before at my job would like come by my desk and be like, what did you, what did you do? And it's like, why do you think my body and, and, you know, I would tell people like, I don't want to talk about this. Mm -hmm. I, you know, whatever has happened is none of your business and Mm -hmm. I don't want to talk about it. And then they would get mad, like, well, you, like, why did you do it then? (laughs) As if changes (laughs) in my body are me giving everyone, not just permission, but like soliciting everybody to talk to me. Mm. You know what I mean? And it's like, and same with like makeup and stuff. It's like me wearing makeup is not an invitation to you. And it's not my face giving you permission to comment on my appearance or to assume anything about my sexuality, my gender, just any of it. But that's how, like, I think women, honestly, are the biggest perpetuators of that, too, because yeah. they've so internalized it. But, like, women genuinely think, like, I, I often don't wear makeup, mm-hmm. um, especially, like, when I used to have a job. <laughs> I mm-hmm. constantly, I, like, frequently didn't wear makeup, and I would just mm-hmm. wear, like, flannel shirts and whatever. And I would constantly have women that I worked with walking up to me being, like, <laughs> like, you need to wear makeup. Wow. Mm-hmm. To be and seriously people think you're not trying and I'm like trying to do what wow. I'm not wow. trying yeah. I'm actually mm. not trying I'm glad that you're getting the message because I'm not trying yeah you know but it's um yeah I just think it's it's like an offshoot of a lot of different systems but I do think it's a big um the male gaze teaches us that like female bodies are to be gazed upon obviously Mm -hmm. watched and scrutinized and commented Mm -hmm. on and judged Mm -hmm. and weighed Mm -hmm. and like that is something that I find that has really infiltrated women 
and something that we tend to perpetuate amongst each other and something a lot of fucking men perpetuate as well. Like men just constantly think they have the right to comment on your appearance in one way or mm -hmm. another or the way you talk mm -hmm. or anything else. I'm just about mm -hmm. to launch a new podcast this week and it's like a nerdy podcast. And I'm assuming I'm probably going to have a lot of men listener, male listeners, and I'm just yeah. already dreading them, picking apart <laughs> the way I talk, you yeah. know, just pulling apart whatever, because that's how, like, frankly, that's how men are. That's why I have mm -hmm. a largely female and queer audience, because I can't fucking handle it. I, mm -hmm. I don't like Well, you're it. lucky, I, yeah. Yeah, when I first started <laughs> my first project, I had a lot of I had a lot of men listening and I would get emails constantly of like, you should talk in a different way. You should yep. talk about this. You should do, do, mm -hmm. do, 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 because mm -hmm. they literally feel like they have ownership over you and your con like anything mm -hmm. you create is theirs yep. to just comment mm -hmm. on. And they also assume that you must be doing it to please them. Mm -hmm. And people learned right quick that, I don't want to please you. I don't want you as an audience <laughs> member, yeah. you know, and I'm going to do things aggressively to like skew towards the type of people that I want consuming my work because you're not it. Mm. Mm. But that that's yeah. like deeply connected. I don't think we think about that, but that's deeply connected to the male gaze that like mm -hmm. content is made for me and that's how I engage with it. And given that content creators are usually more accessible than like Hollywood directors, we end up bearing the brunt of that that vibe you know it's like we yeah. we end up being the ones that they're like oh i can tweet at you i can email you i can like get at you so i'm going to do that and i'm gonna mm -hmm. claim ownership of like you and your content and mm -hmm. and just overemphasize my own importance in your life mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah and i think um to what both of you were saying about um, like getting comments so well, you're like feeding into it by the fact that you're um, wearing makeup and everything like that. Like, firstly, I think this is just like like liberal talking points of like liberal feminism that you need to like take personal responsibility and pull yourself up by your bootstraps and like not shave your legs and like um, that will solve the problem of patriarchy and it's like putting all the responsibility on us as individuals when it's like like. I mean, I think it's great if people do those things and um, it is can be empowering in many ways. And I, and I, yeah, I don't want to dismiss them inherently. And I often like really admire people for that. But at the same time, it's like in all other things, like these men tend to be all about like the material analysis and whatever, but then they're like perpetuating those kind of like feminist uh, liberal talking points. Um, and also it's like, like you two, mentioned it's like the only way that we're taught to have power is through our appearance because like that is the only way like the mechanism a lot of the time through which we are able to like gain people to listen to us although like we talked about you're still not really listened to but um and there's like loads of studies that show like the how you look or the more attractive you are how that pay plays into like what jobs you're gonna get and um like all these other like material like benefits in life and I mean we are constantly taught that like yeah beauty is currency and the higher the more you fit into the mold the the greater your exchange value and so yeah i don't think we can ever say it's like disentangled from these like um larger like really uh, bigger like material impacts on our lives and then um yeah i just wanted to second what you both said about like to say that these things are just like small issues that are divorced from like 
oh, like, why are you talking about this? this, this there are bigger things. I also um, have experience of like, when I experienced rape from an ex-boyfriend, um, feeling like, oh, I like this is completely normalized because like my body exists for the pleasure of this person and like I did not consent for this to happen but this is just like the way that it should this this is just the way it goes like um this is what he wanted like just completely internalizing that like it's just it's not even about my pleasure or the fact that um, he enjoyed doing this thing to me that I explicitly said that I didn't want. Um, that's okay because that's what he, that's just how, <laughs> this is just sex. And um, yeah, so I think like the way in which it contributes to eating disorders, contributes to assault, like all of these things, um, it's just like really, <laughs> really, really um, disturbing. And yeah, I, I just think it leads to this constant self-monitoring, this constant hyper focus on our appearance and like just the amount of like time of my life has been taken away from like the hyper focus on like mm. these things and the amount of mm -hmm. consumerism that often leads to because of like the the products to try and purchase and like um to fit more into the mold and like all of these things and um yeah it's like a constant self-surveillance constant like self-hatred a lot of the time and yeah I just think it's it's really it's really sad mm -hmm. yeah and like you said nick like it's a losing battle like yeah. <laughs> time is coming for us all so it would, exactly. it, would, it would behoove us to actually just like unite and overthrow this oppressive system rather than clamoring for a better position within it so just putting that out there yeah um so uh that's basically all the notes i had i do kind of want to end with a little just a little outro but yeah do you guys have other things that you wanted to mention I um, wanted to... okay oh, well I just wanted to say quickly to oh. the audience a couple pieces of media were brought up as like are these male gays or how are these so I took notes and I'll bring those mm. up in my section when I talk about the female gaze and the queer gaze and I'll include those in because I'm going to pull clips of movies and stuff. It'll be very visual and very fun um, just to show it doesn't have to be you don't have to be a man to be visual. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, I just wanted to let the audience know, like, stay tuned for that one. And yes. we'll talk about those movies and that because I think it'll be really fun to actually spend a little time with them and, and talk about it. Mm hmm. Mm. Um, yeah, I guess I just wanted to mention that going back to the Reddit thing. Um, the amount of creep shots on Reddit and like all of these pages as well, which is mm -hmm. basically pictures that are taken of women um, naked without their consent. And like it explicitly mm -hmm. says that the whole point of a creep shot is that it's taken without their consent or like when they're not knowing that they're having a photo taken. And also how normalized it was um, at uni with um, part of, I was part of different sports teams and like men, I would have these group chats and they would have like, um, take videos of like women they had had sex with, like in like whilst they were having sex with them without them knowing and then post it on the group chat. And like, and I think this is just like the male gaze in action. It's like they're, they're then actually like adopting, okay, uh, how am I personally going to be the filmmaker? How am I personally going to be the photographer of this kind of objectification? And then, like, yeah, sharing it on all of these, like, pages, I think is absolutely um, disgusting. 
Mm-hmm. And um, I also wanted to mention, I think we talked about this, I think, Nicole, you've talked about this before, but how, like, this internalised nail gaze can also, um, like, with me trying to figure out my bisexuality, um, mm. it's, like, impossible for me to, like, not completely asexualize women when I, like, think about them. And, like, like I can't, I can't... Um, find myself being attracted to women without this like complete objectification and sexualization of them and it's really frustrating me because I want to access a like wholesome like understanding of my sexuality and my attractions but I'm just purely seeing them through this like sexualized lens and I think like a lot of um people struggle with that that was um, um yeah. that was an early phase for me as well. I think it was like six to twelve months, something like that, where I could only see women in a very sexualized way and couldn't mm. actually picture dating them. But it has passed, so there's hope. <laughs> <laughs> but it does it does take a while to like it it takes you actually have to like work through it. And it's definitely, yeah, I think there's so many ways in which the male gaze just really harms queer people you know Mm. um erica brought up earlier again the the transphobia of it all and you know creating this idea that trans women are only valid if they're passing and they're very beautiful Mm -hmm. um a lot of people in the comments have been talking about being gay men and how like that they have body image issues and issues dating i know one of my absolute best friends back home is a gay man and like has struggled with this as long, you know, we've been friends for a super long time. He struggled with this as long as I've known him. Um, Just feeling like he's not attractive enough to like be gay, which is Mm -hmm. horrible. And that's definitely the male gaze, you know, Mm -hmm. perpetuating just all of our lives. Compet, definitely a huge part of the male gaze. Um, And not just in attraction, which is something we have to kind of work through, but also as we've talked about, you know, privately in terms of valuing women and non-men as partners equal Mm -hmm. to men, Mm -hmm. having Mm -hmm. to really work through like truly thinking like, oh, if I end up with my life partner is a woman, like that's as good as a man, Mm -hmm. (laughs) probably better, (laughs) (laughs) you know, but it was like really hard for me to, to, to get there. It took years mm-hmm. of me having to like really fucking dismantle this shit and work through it. And, um, and I'm someone who I don't think ever bought into the male gaze as much as, you know, other people that I've known. So it just makes me think, well, fuck, like, what would they even do? You know, like it, it just, yeah, it's really insidious and it, and it definitely in, impacts, I think a lot of us on the queer spectrum, really heavily and it sucks because it's like hard enough to be queer and then you have like all this other work you have to do (laughs) just to kind of get there Mm -hmm. yeah Yeah. and I also I just wanted to reiterate the point you made at the beginning Nicole because I thought it was so brilliant that yeah like the male gaze um it's not just about the male gaze objectifying um and being violent towards women it's also about like the exploitation and violence and objectification of nature and the exploitation and violence and objectification of animals like that gaze like is a gaze that um is not just limited to women it's limited to like literally like every element of our lives is 
like manner of viewing through the subjectifying like lens and exploitative lens then like how is that if that's the framework through which you're seeing your whole entire like everything in your life like mm -hmm. of course that's gonna lead to the environmental destruction animal exploitation and like the exploitation and objectification of people of color etc so yeah it's like yeah like the whole, it, i i just keep thinking about that it's like the whole lens through which you see the world um so yeah it needs to go yeah <laughs> yeah and uh recording our podcast like we were talking about space exploration and you know we're talking about star trek so it's like space the final frontier blah 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 blah, blah. um there's this idea like the whole tagline is like going where no one's gone before hmm. You know, and so it's like the male gaze in space. Like, yeah. it's just <laughs> the idea that no one has been somewhere until a white man goes there, right? Yeah. That this this stuff is unexplored, it's uncharted, it's um, mm. it hasn't been exploited yet, right? Because they mm -hmm. talk a lot about, like, planets that haven't been colonized and how those are just mm -hmm. up for, for the taking. And I think, you know, if we think broadly about it, that that is the male gaze. It's a very male gazy show to think that it's uh, altruistic and scientific curiosity to be going out into the far reaches of space to like grab whatever isn't hasn't been grabbed by someone else <laughs> yeah you know and to, <laughs> yeah. and to think that like you're the per first person to be somewhere where there's literally already people that's extremely male gazy. I mean, it's obviously mm -hmm. colonizer bullshit, but I think that's like a huge part of it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I don't think you could separate like colonialism mm -hmm. and patriarchy, right? Um, yeah. Yeah, well. Um, <laughs> Did we do that, it? That, that might be a good place to, to cut. So yeah, I just wanted to say uh, some closing words. Um, just because, yeah, I like I've I've been really excited to do this episode and I loved it. I think it was fucking fire. I love like talking <laughs> about this with all of you guys. So just thank you so much um, for, for like letting me get a lot of this out. Um, because like it's something that like I've been upset about this since like my like infancy. Like, you know what I mean, like like since like I was old enough to realize that like I was being looked at and treated in this way and like the boys around me were not. Like I've been like burning up with like a little righteous rage about it like ever since you know and I remember like being a teenager and I don't know if part of this is like my autism as well but like I remember like I just couldn't stand going to to movies because like I would leave like in this like ball of rage but I didn't have the language to express like why I was so upset um mm. and if you think about like the films that were out when I was a teenager it was like what the fucking like um American Pie and like Girl Next Door and like all this like absolutely ridiculous sexist crap you know um mm -hmm. and like no wonder like I was just like burning up inside but like I couldn't I just couldn't put my finger on like why I was I was so upset about this right and so like developing and like getting all this language or whatever um you know I just I feel like I'm in general someone who's like very much I can go with the flow I can kind of just like nod and smile and like deal with things like to a point but like once I reach that point I'm like okay I'm out you know it's like me like with my introverted autism self like at a party or something where I'm like I'm good I'm good I'm good and then like I just like hit a point where I'm like I'm not good I'm out it's done Relatable. it's over it's fucking over you know 
and I feel like I'm at that point with the male gaze like it's absolutely fucking over you know yeah um like I I will not tolerate it anymore like there's actually so many like recent popular movies and films that I have not watched and I will never watch because like people have warned me that it's male gazy or I've like heard um other people do analysis of like how it is male gazy and I'm like no I won't even fucking go there because I'm like increasingly now like if something is male gazy I'm like fuck this fuck the director fuck whoever made these decisions like fuck them like who do you think you are um Mm. i will not endorse your media like i will not endorse your film your tv show your whatever i will never say that a a piece of media is good if it's male gazy especially something like game of thrones where it's like male gazy to the point of actually being fucking violent you know um because like just just like if something was ableist or racist or whatever and we wouldn't say it's good and we wouldn't recommend it to other people like i will not do that for something that's male gaze like i will not tolerate it anymore like it's enough i've had enough um and i've had enough of like a lifetime of like being gaslit around like oh it's not that bad it's not even really a thing or like oh it's just normal or whatever like no it's it is a thing going back to Seinfeld, it's like a a lane on the subway. Like, no, it's not nothing. It's something. It's definitely something. And it's enough. Like it's it's enough. It's, it's over. Like we're not doing this anymore, you know? So that's, that's it. That's the rant. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening. Yeah. (laughs) Thank you so much for listening, everyone. Um, As always, we appreciate the shares and, and whatnot. And um, yeah, stay tuned for the next couple of months where we look at the pedophilic gaze and then the alternative queer female non-male gaze, which is going to be, I think, probably the hypest one. So be really fun. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Thanks, everyone. Thank you so much, everyone. Thanks, everyone, for coming.